gentlemen, welcome to the Found Cause, where we found our cause and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Michael, the man behind the machine, and to my right, your left is... Sebastian, the bookkeeper. And all the way across the airways, virtually in his closet, it's... You know, under the PC, under the person of Christ. It's kind of like an office closet. closet thing, yeah. I guess it's not really a closet, that that could mean a lot of things. Um, today's episode, like many Found Cause episodes, is a Theodore episode but we all hop on board a theater episode every once in a while this one i think you wanted to call it is hell spectrum um i don't know if that'll be our title we'll see but the topic is hell so men we've talked about hell before in fact episode number two of the podcast now we're 180 episodes later ish um episode two of the podcast was all the different theories about hell and and, and final destinations and whatever else this is not going to be exactly that. We have talked about Final Judgment before. We've talked about that whole, the different theories about hell before. This is going to be a correction, some, a fun fact, a potpourri bag of corrections about hell, some misconceptions people have about hell, how we want to stay expressly biblical on what we understand about hell and not go off of the Bible into crazy speculation. And then uh, maybe a little bit of the, the true Theodore topic, which is the spectrum stuff and conditional immortality when we get to it. Um, but like everything else in the Found Cause, we want to stay really rooted in the Bible. So my man behind the book and my man under the person of Christ um, looked up more scripture than I normally do. And so we've got it all pulled up. We're going to hit line by line some scriptures of what Jesus says about hell, what scriptures say about hell, and how we should even understand death to begin with. So I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to hit on Sebastian Theodore. Can you tell me from the Bible what we know about what happens when we die? What where, Do we go straight to hell? Is that where we go? Straight to heaven? Well, I can comment on that really briefly. I want to say that hell, this is again from all from scripture, and we're, we'll read it. You're a faster reader. I'll ask you to read. So okay. when, when time comes. People at the moment have not been judged. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here having this podcast or talking about hell, as a matter of fact. In order... To be thrown into the lake of fire, which is something that the Lord Jesus talks about, first comes judgment, and then comes the being thrown into into hell. Mm-hmm. We haven't been judged yet. Therefore, no human, and I'll just leave it up for, because Michael has his, his theory as well, no human is in hell right now. Rather, they are, I would contend, they're in this other place called, in Hebrew, Sheol, or in the New Testament, Hades, Hades, in the New Testament, means pretty much the grave and going from what we know from the lord jesus there's the parable of the rich man and lazarus this is how this is again how how i'm justifying the claim that there's two parts in shield there's a nice part and then there's a not so nice part there was a, a, a reading actually can you read this michael sure so this is luke 16 um, Jesus, again, speaking directly, is giving a parable. He says, There's a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was a laid beggar named... A lady beggar, sorry, named Lazarus. So what does that even mean? Old English. Covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Gross. <laughs> the time he came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man... So note here, I'm just going to stop here. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. So this this beggar um is righteous you know fyi is righteous beggar um he was carried by angels to abraham's side abraham promptly is dead so this is abraham is still there he's still conscious and and a figure and when they carry him to his side it's clearly a good place because abraham's a righteous man the beggar goes to righteous man unpause 
The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, where he was in torment and looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And I won't even continue with the rest of the parable because it has a different point, but there's the part about being dead. Excellent. Great reading voice. Excellent. As you can see, all the people involved are dead by the by where you just finished reading and they're in a place called Hades I would contend actually that where Abraham is is called Abraham's bosom it's mm-hmm. also referred to other times in the New Testament and the Old Testament and mm-hmm. the old uh-huh. and that's where all the righteous people who had not been atoned for yet were put in because in order to be in the presence of God you have to be pure if you have any speck of sin on you you will evaporate, burst into flames, whatever. You cannot be in the presence of God with sin, I would argue, and live in his kingdom in harmony, of course. So these people, Abraham and friends, David, etc., they're all held in this place called Abraham's bosom until Jesus finally died on the cross, descended into hell, as we all know from the creed. And some, if you've ever said the creed out loud, it's not really into hell, hell. It's more into Hades, into the grave. Jesus rescues eventually Lazarus, and Abraham and friends takes them up to heaven because now they've been atoned for. Now they've been imputed his righteousness and their sin has been taken away from them. But sinners who do not love God and do not want to even seek him will be thrown into hell eventually, such as this rich man who's not even named. In the meantime, though, again, how they start the episode, we haven't been judged yet. I would contend that people are thrown into Sheol, into Hades, the bad part, until Jesus Christ comes back in his return and establishes kingdom and judges everybody and you all know the rest. So this is at least the biblical evidence that I would hold to that to show that there are two parts of the grave where, where the righteous and the unrighteous went to. Only the unrighteous continue to be thrown into Sheol at this point, the, the bad part. Now, all the righteous people who have been covered by the blood of Christ go straight to heaven because we can now be in the presence of God. And I would say these are all the saints that sing under the throne of God in the book of Revelation. And if you want strict scriptural backing for that, I mean, here's the parable from Jesus talking about the existence of these two places. But like Sebastian said, there's also references in 2 Peter and in Jude about Jesus descending to death um, and, and bringing his righteous people up again and preaching to the spirits that are lost and saying, you, you lost, you suck. Um, and so, and we have references then in, in, by Paul and others about immediately going to heaven after death and not having to wait in the grave. So the good side of Sheol is definitively and witnessed by scripture, not just church tradition or things like that. It is no longer a place that's filled. It's been emptied by Christ and that the only, the only area of Sheol that's filled with people is the bad portion of it. Mm-hmm. Which again, we know it's bad because... Um, not only does the rich man that's in it want to leave, he also says it's agony. So it's it's not a good place, but it's not what we would normally call hell. So if it's not hell, what is hell? A lake of fire. I just want to add a... Oh, go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Do it. Um, 
there's also the description in Jude verse six, mm -hmm. um, the angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode. He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Mm -hmm. So there's also that description, um, which is before the judgment. Yeah. But and, then, and uh, that, that same place is referenced in, in second in Peter, um, two, four, second Peter two, four, it's called Tartarus, that place of chains. Um, it's arguable. It's referenced here three times. It's referenced by, um, uh, by Jude. It's referenced by in Second Peter, and then it's referenced in Matthew eighteen. Um, I think, right? Whatever. It's referenced <laughs> three places. I, sure. You can look it up for yourself. I'm sure. In Luke eight thirty one is when the the demons they plead Jesus, please don't throw us into the abyss. The abyss, right? Right. Which could be synonymous with Tartarus. Tartarus is a Greek mythology term, and so some people try to read in Greek meanings into it. Um, Tartarus was like the the deepest dungeon of Hades. So it was included in Hades, but it was the deepest dungeon. So maybe it's something like that, where it's, it's a portion of Sheol that's exclusive to rebellious angels, or maybe it, it is hell itself. Um, Ooh. We don't really know. I, ha I just have a theory. So you know, this is, again, trying to base it from scripture, because it says, I think Paul just randomly drops this truth bomb in one of his letters that says, don't you know that we will judge angels? Mm -hmm. Meaning, is my, my theory, angels haven't been judged yet either, and normally they're, from my understanding, they would be judged first and then thrown into the lake of fire, as we will read from the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. So to me, this is just my opinion, Tartarus is another compartment in Sheol, in the grave, that angels that rebelled in the during the flood of Noah, or before, you know, they tried to rape human, uh, human women. women. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, they're contained there. But since humans haven't been perfected or judged angels yet, based on what Paul just dropped yeah. the truth there, I don't think Tartarus is the equivalent of what we envision hell to be. Yeah, and you know, I like this theory. Um, we were discussing before the podcast, and I was this is me changing my mind, because in Jude 6, it says... Um, those angels abandoned their proper dwelling in the heavens. For this crime, God cast them into Tartarus. So they're held in pits of gloom for later judgment. And so that later judgment would imply that they're going to get judged again and thrown into the second death. So that makes sense. So we've got, wow. we've got Sheol is active right now for people. Then we've got Tartarus, which is a portion of Sheol exclusive to, to demons. Um, it's also called the abyss. And if you notice, the abyss is a reference kind of throughout scripture randomly, um, but it is also... Usually it's synonymous with, with Sheol, but it's also in Revelation where they unlock um, like these these locusts that come out. So the abyss mm. is clearly <laughs> like an active, filled place with with bad things, whether it be angels or these evil locust things or whatever else. Like the abyss is an active spiritual place that the demons do not want to go to. When Jesus encounters them, they say, "Please don't cast us into the abyss." Um, so it's clearly not pleasant. It's not importantly, it's not their realm it's not like the realm that the demons own and love it's it's prison for everyone involved it's not um satan's kingdom i mean if you want to talk about misconceptions that will be a great transition to mm -hmm. how hell is often per um, perceived or has been perceived in the middle ages theater if you have any point do you have anything to add please feel free to interrupt me and no that's okay excellent okay that my internet was being a little weird okay okay we're good Got it. One person that people, everyone knows, but we all forget about him sometimes, Dante Alighieri. He wrote the Divine Comedy in, during the time of the Renaissance, more or less. And he has been 
so influential in how hell is perceived, at least in the West. I don't know so much about the Eastern Orthodox. Comment down below if you have a different, as an Orthodox person, view on hell. What's your opinion is on Dante's Inferno? And you can even go back to the Seven Deadly Sins. That's a tradition from the Desert Fathers. Mm -hmm. How there's some biblical precedent to, you know, gluttony, lust, envy, etc. You know, all all the seven ones. And but to categorize them in such a way is a little bit odd, in my opinion. But anyway, Dante takes it further. He's clearly writing fiction. It's satire and political commentary at the same time. So it's not, he didn't mean it to be taken literally. But a lot of people, when they envision hell, they envision like a citadel, places where the demons rule. They have more or less corporeal bodies. They are red or black. They have horns and pitchforks sometimes. Or wings, you know, like bat, bat wings too were also famous in the Middle Ages mm-hmm. to portray demons. They have goat heads, you know, a lot, a lot of strange things. But where do they get this from? Not, not scripture. I don't, I don't even think there's a single description of demons except for Satan, which says that even Satan can appear as an angel of light. Well, and there's a reference in Leviticus to not worshiping goat demons. So there's that okay, too. okay. That's probably goat god, you know, fake gods. Goat oh, animals. like Moloch. With an like animal head, okay, yeah, okay, got it. So, a lot of a lot of the things that people envision, even in modern day, about hell, comes from big part to Dante's Inferno, and then also different levels of hell, in which at the very bottom, at the center of hell, is Judas Iscariot and Satan, because you know Judas has to be there for sure. But depending on your sin, you are cast into different levels of hell. Now, that is not too far off from the biblical position on hell but obviously dante just takes it to like some well he gives a bunch of specifics and the the bible as much as it emphatically talks about hell being a consequence it doesn't really describe hell much um we get a couple descriptions of hell Mm -hmm. revelation 21 um says "Um, but as for the cowardly and unbelieving and a long list of sins um their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death that that is hell hell is called the second death um there's a lake of fire and brimstone. Okay, so burning, torment. Revelation 20 also says, And the devil who deceived them is thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet also are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So it's torment, it's permanent, it's a lake of fire is what it's often called, but it's also called the outer darkness. Um, Jesus refers to it often as the outer darkness. Like in Luke 12, when he gives the... Um, parable of the or he gives parables about people being punished they say they're cut into pieces and assigned a place to the unbelievers so cut into pieces cast off put in the outer darkness matthew 25 is the parable of the talents and um, when jesus punishes the wicked servant he says you wicked and slothful servant um etc etc then he says for everyone who has more be given to him and he will have an abundance but for the one who has not even when he has be taken away and that worthless servant Throw them into the outer darkness. They'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So dark and fire kind of don't go together. So clearly this is all symbolic, I think. Maybe it's not clear to everybody, but I think it's all symbolic of the suffering that takes place in hell and that it is um, torturous. And of course, torturous would it be to be thrown into a lake of lava, mm-hmm. um, but it's not necessarily like bright, hot lava because it's also considered the outer darkness. Yes, and for history, people have interpreted volcanoes to be the gates of hell because they had envisioned hell to be deep underground, mm-hmm. which, again, that's more medieval 
superstition or even classical from the Greek and Roman period. So not so much. It is not a literal. Well, it is literal that people will, humans, mm -hmm. souls will be there, but it is not. You, I don't think you can travel there. Right now, you can't just take a, a car to hell. So we've established a couple things. One that hell is not open yet is what we're talking about. Hell is the second death. It's, it's for final judgment and then afterwards. Um, right now, there's just Sheol. And the grave is not a good place to be. So it, it was only good for those who are righteous. And now the righteous aren't even there. They're up in heaven. So nobody in Sheol is having a good time. Not the humans. They're in agony. But also the spirits, the angels that are imprisoned there, don't want to go there. So much so that they wanted to be cast out of the the people who are cutting themselves um, and into pigs. Um, and the pigs even went and killed themselves. So like the abyss was not to be trifled with even for demons. And so Sheol is bad. Um, the second death presumably will be even worse. Um, and that it will be conscious. The people in Sheol are conscious. These angels are awaiting judgment. They're in chains. They are conscious. The people are also suffering consciously as Jesus talks about in his parable. And when Jesus talks about final judgment, the outer darkness, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The torment will be forever and ever. It's clearly a permanent place. And I would argue it's conscious because here they are weeping and gnashing their teeth. It's <laughs> conscious torment. Um, something that atheists get on us all the time is that it sounds so horrible. Well, it is. God is a just God and he punishes sin with justice. And so the amount of justice that he shows people in hell um, is how much grace he's showing us when he pays for our sins. So it is a direct highlight of God's character that he is this just and it highlights also his mercy. Um, so we should not shy away from hell. Jesus certainly didn't. He talked about it a lot. So there we go. We got misconceptions about hell being all red devils, that devils rule. They don't. They're equally tortured in hell, if not more. We got misconceptions about you going straight to hell if you're bad right now, which you don't. Um, no purgatory. This isn't really an episode in purgatory, but there's only two two places. There's uh, the good place or the bad place, and the bad place right now is Sheol, and eventually it will be hell, but there's no, there's no purging process in this um, where it's bad for a while, and then you get out. Uh... Other misconceptions about hell. I've got one of the list, but I want to open up the time to you, Theodore, or you, Sebastian. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, well, I guess maybe... Do you have another one or two misconceptions? I was just going to say, like, um, it's a misconception that everybody is tortured equally, mm. or they're all thrown in specifically to a 500-degree fire that is... <laughs> And infinite for all of them because i would argue they're um and you're bringing up verses right <laughs> i am bringing up verses exactly so that all right bad. good uh... i would argue that um not necessarily everybody is sustained forever potentially the devil and his angels are immortalized or sustained forever i would i personally would not um definitively declare or proclaim that um, every human, every every one of mankind is necessarily immortalized into that destruction. But some might face like a million years, whatever time is in eternity. Some might face a million years of torment. Some might face two billion, three trillion. Um, and then obviously uh, the punishment would be just um, according to what they have done mm -hmm. and partially according to what they know um, and can understand. Yeah, let me get into the spectrum stuff, but I'm going to give my one last uh, 
one last non-spectrum related uh, issue, and that is that there's a very common statement, especially in American Christianity, for whatever reason, and America exports a lot of stuff, that hell is simply separation of God, and that being separated from God itself is torture. Um, even Mormons talk about this, and there are multi-levels of heaven. They say any of the, he- the heavens underneath the top heaven have a, t- a sort of hell in them because it's a hell to be away from the Heavenly Father. Um, and they also, uh, I've heard one of them say, like, if you get to the celestial or terrestrial, mm-hmm. um, it's almost like a feeling of eternal regret that right. you have for not having done as much as you can do so as to be saved and exalted to your own godhood. Right. And e- even our Eastern Orthodox commenter friend, I don't know that this speaks for all of them because they seem weird and varied, um, but Eric Harb said that hell everybody's resurrected to eternal bodies um, and therefore everybody is meandering around the new heavens and the new earth, including all the wicked, but the wicked hate God. And so they're having a bad time. They're sad. Um, (laughs) And so it's their hell. You know, it's a personal hell. Like somebody that's at a party they don't want to be at goes, oh, this is my hell. Um, Or like, you know, I have to stand up in line at Walmart. Oh, this is hell. I kind of feel that's equivalent to saying that, that being in God's presence or not getting to be in God's presence is hell. Um, Because clearly hell is not that. And I think we should just slam that one down. It's a soft way of talking about hell. It's why it got big in the U.S., got big in seeker-sensitive churches to say that your relatives aren't being punished by God forever. They're just not in his presence because they didn't want to be. Um, It's not the way. It's not the way. And we repeat the third time. It's not the way the Bible describes hell. And I was was walked through this personally as a kid, so I am especially passionate about it. That is not found in the Bible. The closest you get to hell being described as that is in 2 Thessalonians, where it says the penalty, um, these, the wicked, will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So you could say, oh, this must be away from the presence of the Lord must mean that God isn't even in hell. But we know that God, first of all, sustains all things. And second of all, is the one that sent people there. So he's sustaining hell as a, as a thing. And here he is, um, smelling the the smoke of the torment of those in hell in Revelation throughout it. So clearly God is present, sustaining hell, um, and that the presence that is not there is his good glory and power, but his justice is being shown at all times in hell. So hell is not a, just just God is not there. It is, you're under God's wrath, so you don't have, you have his good presence. Um, thought that needed to be said because of how prevalent that belief is. Um, hopefully when you read about hell and all its torment, you don't you realize that it's not just a waiting room that people are permanently there and regretting that they didn't go to God. Um, surely they are regretting they didn't go to God, but they aren't repenting. Um, they still hate God down there and they're still being tormented. So that's, uh, that's generally hell is not a place where people are like, oh man, I would, I would go to God if I had a second chance. Um, even even the parable of the rich man and Lazarus and, Laz- and the rich man isn't even in hell, he's in Sheol. He doesn't say, um, oh, if only I had chosen right. He doesn't say, oh, how I now believe in God. All he says is, you know, ease my suffering and tell my, tell my <laughs> relatives <laughs> that they should be good. He doesn't say I should be good, you know, bring me up there. Um, so those in hell, those in the bad part of Sheol do not love God. Mm-hmm. Yes, they do not want to be in the presence of God, but they are. They're just under his wrath. All right. As a sub point to that, I think it's worth talking about. Yes, people may incorrectly assume that the natures of humans are changed the moment they become spirits or souls or resurrected again. 
So on that same note, the people who are in hell, they're not they're not going to be saying say, Oh, I wish I was a Christian, Jesus saved me. They're gonna be saying they're gonna be cursing at Jesus. Like all their the restraint of God is gonna be pulled back and like all the evil is just gonna pour out their hatred towards God mm-hmm. outwardly. I don't think they change because clearly they haven't been redeemed by God. So if you're not redeemed by God, you're you're still an enemy of God. I think people just assume that you change when you're resurrected. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was my final like non-spectrum common misconception about hell. Cedar, you brought up great points, and I want to address them, and maybe you can repeat the finer points. Of we have the final misconception that we're talking about about hell here is that that everybody gets equal punishment. Just like there's a misconception about heaven that everybody gets equal reward. Um, it's not true. We have it in the parable of the talents as well, and other places where those who God gives more and do more on earth get greater reward in heaven the parable of the talents there's one man who's given five talents according to his ability one man who's given two talents according to his ability they both end up in heaven they both end up with reward pleasing the master but the one with five talents is not only given another five talents he's also given the extra one from the guy who went to hell and so he's given exponentially more reward than the guy who's given two talents they both have the master's pleasure they both get extra talents in the end so they both are rewarded in heaven Um, but one is especially rewarded. So we can only take away from this that God will especially reward some in heaven versus others. And it's not to our chagrin. We're still in heaven. We're still happy to be there. Um, But in the same way, God also doesn't punish everybody equally in hell. And we want to go expressly to scripture here. I don't know if you have any in mind, Theodore, but we've got some pulled up too. The whipping. Uh, Yeah, I don't think I have any pulled up immediately. Okay. Well, you'd put in our chat Luke 12. I don't know if you want to talk to it, Sebastian. Or anything. Can you read? Sure. <laughs> I'll just keep going. Luke 12, another parable that Jesus gives about um, some good servants, some bad servants. Um, and the bad servants, this is what will happen to them. The master of that servant, the wicked servant, will come on a day he does not expect him, and an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant will know the master's will and does not get ready or does not, get, does not do what the master wants, will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So here's again a spectrum, not just on the upside of rewards, but on the downside, there's a spectrum of few blows to many blows. Now, both those categories, we shouldn't be confused. They don't mean that people don't go to hell or that they temporarily go to hell and then they get into heaven. It's just lesser it's lesser punishment in hell so whatever that looks like i bet it looks a lot like heaven as far as you are happy to be in heaven whether or not you've gotten there by the skin of your teeth or you were number one apostle you're happy to be in heaven and you hate being in hell whether you got the least punishment in hell or the worst punishment in hell you hate being in hell so it's not that you enjoy hell Um, it's just that there is greater punishment for hitler versus um, your unbelieving grandma and so god is just to punish with the proper level of punishments yeah, that's very well put, actually. And that even is brought up in the book of Romans, obviously with the Jews who have been given much light in God's truth, wisdom, and character. There is a higher expectation of the Jews than there is of, let's say, the Assyrians mm-hmm. in the time in the ancient kingdom of Israel. So well, are both judged? Yes, in fact, that's why Jonah went there, because God's judgment was coming on the city. So he was saying, repent, turn away from this. 
but they didn't have the law in the same way that the Jews did. So different different degrees of judgment for sure. Now, going back to Romans, chapter 2. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written in their hearts, their consciousness are also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Wow. Interesting, no? It is, and this speaks again to, like we're talking about, the spectrum of punishment, and that, um, just like Luke 12 said, here Paul is saying that those who don't know as much about how much they are disobeying God are judged less. That does not mean they they don't go to hell. In fact, later in Romans chapter 5, Paul reiterates that although you are judged based on how much law you know, and so if you don't know any law, you aren't judged under the law, everybody still dies. So clearly everybody has some thing right about the law. They have some internal knowledge of the law and yet still choose to break it. So even of the little law they do have, they disobey. Um, and Paul writes about it himself in Romans 7. He says that the more law he knows, the more he wants to break it. The sin in him learn, mm. learns a piece of God's law and then wants to rebel against it. And so while those who don't hear the gospel or don't know all of God's law are judged less, don't think that they aren't judged at all because as Paul says here in Romans 2, 14, indeed when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are law unto themselves. And so they show the requirements of the law are written on their hearts and their consciousness are also bearing witness to this. So like they're still judged by the law they do try to keep and fail. But this goes to show that it's not just like Theodore said, it's not just being thrown into a big lake of fire that, that everybody shares exactly the ex same punishment. It's still hell, but there's degrees. Just like it's still heaven if you go to heaven, but there are degrees of heaven. Mm -hmm. And But this should be a direct refutation of tiered salvation systems like Mormonism because Mormonism essentially says that there are three levels of heaven and hell and there's one level of hell but there's really three levels of hell and one heaven um, and we say there's one heaven one hell but there there's greater reward in heaven for those who are more righteous and greater punishment for those who are more wicked in hell and so that's that's the trade-off. You aren't in a different place. You're not in a place where God the Father is not there in heaven if you get less reward. And likewise, it's not not punishment in hell if you didn't do much wrong in life. Um, it's still hell. It's just you're punished less than others mm -hmm. or you're rewarded less than others in heaven. If I recall correctly, everyone will have equal access to God's new city, New Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Anyone who is part of his kingdom will have equal access to it and come in. Yeah, the doors are always open, right? Yeah. So it's not like only super Christians can be in the presence of God and then right. small Christians cannot even enter the city at all. So not at all, not at all. And I see in Isaiah 2, it talks about the feast, the animals who are normally hostile to each other, laying next to each other, a baby laying down next to a snake. So I think mm -hmm. that everyone is going to be able to partake in the joys of heaven but yes people have different duties for sure i'm not even going to get into that to speculate but 
just from scripture, some will be governors. I think the apostles are described as administrators or governors of God's new kingdom. God will be sovereign, of course. And in hell, big contrast, no one, no one but God is sovereign. That's again, it's not that the devil is the king of hell. He is the Lord of this world as of right now, but he's not really the Lord of the world. Because even he has to ask God permission to torture people. Like when he ha- he had to ask God to uh, torture Job mm-hmm. in the Old Testament. So he could Peter, just... like during the New Testament, it says Satan is seeking to sift you like wheat, right? Mm-hmm. Do I let him? That kind of thing. Right, right. So in hell, he's not king of anything. He's going to be tortured there forever and ever. And it's just a matter of how much will an individual be tortured it's based on the sin will be judged hence why in revelation uh revelation 20 and the seed gave up the dead which were in it and death and hades gave up the dead which were in them and they were judged everyone according to their deeds then death and hades were thrown into the lake of fire the second death the lake of fire if anyone's name was not found in the written written in the book of life he was thrown into the lake of fire from revelation 20 here judged everyone according to their deeds pointing to based on how much evil you have done you're going to get a greater punishment so we touched a lot on that theodore do you have comments on the spectrum stuff i got two more things to add Mm -hmm. and then there's one that i want (laughs) to chat with you after (laughs) the podcast okay because i just kind of discovered something now and thought it was really interesting um but Back to this. So John 9, 39 to 41, Jesus said, uh, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. But, uh, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sinned. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Um, and then I have a quote from John Piper. If that's allowable. (laughs) It's allowable. I accept it. Quote, judgment will be according to the knowledge at a person's disposal. But all people in the world have enough knowledge of God in nature and in their own conscience, which they do not live up to, that they will be judged on account of it. End quote. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've hammered home this. So if you... Or not, or if you were under the impression that there weren't different um, levels of reward or levels of punishment, you should be corrected by scripture because these are scriptural. Besides John Piper, but John Piper is <laughs> quoting scripture, so that's that's good. So this all culminates to our last bonus round objective because we've gotten through a bunch of misconceptions about hell. Hopefully, we've righted a couple things about hell. If you think we are wrong about something here, um, we'd love for you to correct us because we're trying to stay out of speculation. There's a lot of things you can speculate about how hell works and how heaven works. Um, like Sebastian said, we could go endlessly on about like what kind of jobs there'll be in heaven and exactly what the earth will look like. And um, does everybody live in the New Jerusalem or do people live out in the farm fields and they come to Jerusalem for special occasions? Is there like special homes for people who are extra righteous and they live in the New Jerusalem? Whatever, you know, there's, we'll be able to see hell from, from the, new earth, the new heavens. Whatever. Lots of questions here. Um, that we're not going to speculate about, frankly, because mm-hmm. there's not enough in the Bible to speculate about them. And I think there are enough things that Christians can disagree on with each other. I don't want to throw in more that we can disagree on. So if you disagree on something that we've already said, we'd love to hear your thoughts in the comments because we want to be corrected too if we are wrong. The last question is a passion topic typically for Theodore. 
Um, it's not really the discussion topic here, but I thought we'd throw it in as bonus because it does talk about hell. And that is, a, it's an ideal called conditional immor- uh, mortality. Conditional mortality, is that right? Conditional no, uh, conditional immortality. Conditional immortality, thank you. And people who hold to it sometimes are called conditionalists. But obviously, if you just use the word conditionalist, that can literally apply to anything right. that has some sort of condition. So conditional, conditional immortality, yeah, I think that's clear, clearest. Well, I will say the juxtaposing the view that I hold um, is, is um not you know, in, in conditional permanent permanent <laughs> immortality, um, and that is the the traditional position of hell, and that is that it's eternal conscious torment in hell, meaning that forever you are you are conscious in hell, just like forever you're conscious in heaven. Um, however, it, for the sake of Christian tolerance, um, GotQuestions.org, James White, other principal Protestant authorities say that there are genuine Christians who believe in eternal hell. They just believe that it that eventually the soul dies or instantly the soul dies. Sometimes you hear this called annihilationism because the soul is annihilated. Um, I, I will say, I don't think, I mean, you've heard this from podcast before. I don't think that lines up with the descriptions of hell, but it's not a gospel defining issue. Um, and it still has a permanent punishment for sin. So it's kind of inoffensive, um, but it's not one that I hold to, but Theodore, you've, you've dabbled in it way, way more than me. So maybe you can give it a better Iron Man than me. And I have a lot of notes scattered across Many <laughs> a lot Docs. of things. Yeah. <laughs> but I will say, one thing that I found out recently, I'm not sure annihilationism or conditional immortality, that never really existed with that term back then, but I don't think it was ever condemned by any like uh, mm-hmm. council of the church. Right, and, and that? that's why it's generally okay. affable to, to say that it's, it's not orthodox, not typical, but it's not um, heretical, right? And but one thing I did see is that supposedly 553 AD, the Second Council of Constantinople, I believe. Oh no! They, it's a bad council, but they yeah. Condemned uni- universalism. Oh, okay. oh, it's a bad bad council. Well, I mean, <laughs> a bad council can have fact. some good okay. stuff. You know, a broken a broken <laughs> clock is right twice a day. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> okay, so one of the biggest things that I think uh, is in regard to immortality. Because I don't think that mankind is necessarily given, granted, mandated immortality. Hmm. Um, I can rattle off some verses and maybe you can comment on them if you want. Yeah, limited like three because I think we'll get the idea because I remember these oh, verses. Man. <laughs> well, I mean, if you have some really, really good ones, but... Yeah, rattle them off. I'll combine them all in one sentence. <laughs> Make three of them. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, so, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Um, now that man has become like us, knowing good and evil, he must not be allowed to take also from the tree of life and live forever. Um, God's spirit will not strive with or contend with or abide in man forever, for man is mortal or man is flesh. Um, in the path of righteousness is life, but another path leads to death. Um, for for uh, Luke 20, verse 36, for they cannot even die anymore, speaking of the resurrection, um, because they are like angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. And then 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 57, um, only believers, i.e. those who attain to the resurrection, 
um, are sons of God being, uh, wait, no, that was uh, <laughs> put on the imperishable, um, i.e. put on immortality. And then um, John three sixteen and 36, he who believes will not perish, but will have eternal life. And he who believes in the Son of God uh, has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life. First uh, John two seventeen the world is passing away but the one who does the will of God lives forever. First Timothy six sixteen this is the last one God alone is immortal and lives in unapproachable light. So that kind of in a nutshell draws the contrast kind of between um, only God is immortal only only God can grant immortality and He does so for the sons of the resurrection for believers. Um, and then those who do not believe um, will not have life. Right. And and I think, so the general pitch, as, as you're saying, Theodore, is that um, God can destroy souls, i.e. not just destroy them philosophically, i.e. putting them in hell, which is the way I would read destroy or destruction or, or death or perishing, is that they, they no longer have life. They are dead, just like when we die, we don't cease existing. Um, but... Um, that God like eliminates them they no longer exist which he brought them into existence so I think we can all say that it is conceivable that God could end their existence that they are no longer conscious they are just gone um, and therefore why would God contend with souls in hell like, why would he continue sustaining them in punishment um, this isn't the debate for us yep. so I won't even push on it but yeah I think that there's an explanation for those verses and how you could read them traditionally as well Um and you'll notice that all the descriptions of hell don't speak about conditional immortality. They, they all have punishment that's going eternal forever and ever. Uh, but where we do align is that you agree, or conditionalists agree, <laughs> that it is eternal and that it's, that it's a punishment and that it is hell. Um, and that's why we can say that it's pretty, a pretty light disagreement. Would you clarify that by, by you mean that even once God has made your judgment it's not like you can get out of hell, like some people might, universalists might say. Right. You're either suffering forever or you're suffering a million years and then you cease to exist. Right. The fire cannot be quenched, if I could use that, is like um, you're not going to get out of it and you're going to perish um, and become smoke, <laughs> smoke rising forever and ever. Like uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, and the weeping and the gnashing of teeth, I think, quantify that they are still conscious, but and their worm doesn't die and things like well, that. Well, yeah, but, they uh, can be conscious, but not necessarily yeah. eternally or continually sustained forever. Yeah, that's, again, it's it's an affable distinction, um, but probably for another episode. But we would be remiss not to talk about it because mm -hmm. it is another thing. And maybe in a thousand mm -hmm. years, um, <laughs> my view will no longer be orthodox, and people will be like, why are, you know, why aren't they talking about conditional immortality? Um, so here we are, repping it. So any any last words on hell, gentlemen? Yes. Yes. Our call to the gospel is that hell, no matter if you get whipped a little bit or a lot of it, it's going to be a very unpleasant place. Mm -hmm. And God displays his justice by sending people there. As you can see, judged by your deeds. You do good things in your life sure but at the same time we have hurt others we have hurt ourselves we have hurt god etc we have sinned against him we have willingly sinned against him and the only way 
not by your good deeds, by making it up for him, like you might do in Mormonism or Islam or whatever. The only way to have true peace with God, to quote-unquote right your wrongs, is to submit to him and turn to the God-man, the one who is the only being ever that could bear a sin for us, that is Jesus Christ, died on the cross to take away the sin of the world so that we may believe in him and have eternal life. So turn to him. Don't You don't want to end up in, he in hell with Satan as your roommate. It's going to be very unpleasant and for, for everyone involved. And the only way out of that is through the sacrifice once and for all that Jesus Christ did on the cross. He will take away your sin, past, present, and future forever. Forget about them as far as the east is from the west, as the Old Testament says. Mm -hmm. And you will have true peace with God. And you will be in his presence forever and ever after we die, of course. And who could ask for anything more than that? Then the king of the universe decided to show grace to us, gave us his righteousness so that we could live with him forever and ever. Amen. And we know that God will always show justice and do right. So even if we don't know where somebody went when they died, we assume they went to hell or we assume they went to heaven, God knows exactly where he's placing them righteously. So God will do right by everybody he judges. So if you are upset that God sends people to hell, because it can be upsetting, someone you love, God hates, um, know that God is perfectly just. So perhaps they didn't go to hell, perhaps they did, um, but everything will be just when we get to heaven. There will be nobody questioning God at that point. It will be obvious that he did just. Can I cite some verses from Hebrews 10? Go ahead. I think it kind of summarizes uh, some of this stuff as well. So from 13 verses, 26 to 39. Go ahead. We have, before we go on sinning willfully, before... No, that's not it. <laughs> I recant. Okay, for if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled under foot the Son of God? And who has regarded or and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace for we know uh, him who said vengeance is mine i will repay and again the lord will judge his people it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living god but remember the former days when after being enlightened you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, uh, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that uh, when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteousness one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction. Because of, tho because of those who have faith. But, okay, I'll repeat the last verse again. Sorry. <laughs> 
Um, but we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Amen. And Hebrews is like one gigantic run-on sentence, so it's hard to just like, do one verse there. Um, and that is why we Thanks, have yeah. found our cause. And serving the Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for listening. I've been Michael, the man behind the machine, and to my right, your left has been... Sebastian, the bookkeeper. And all the way over across the airwaves has been... Theodore, under the PC. Thank you for listening. If you want to see the rest of our episodes, you got to go to foundcause.podb.com and download them all for your listening pleasure. We are over 2,500 downloads or something like that. Hooray! Wow. Uh, we're also on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you might find your podcast. But most importantly, we're on YouTube trying to get that dollar bills. I'm um, just kidding. We're just, we succeed more on YouTube than anywhere else. Um, so please find us there or Facebook. Um, be great to like coalesce the audience, but whatever. It's not that big of an audience. Um, Till next time, we talk about something completely different. I guarantee it. It's probably a response video to some, you know, bald lesbian. Uh, <laughs> thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye.